Blushy Boys Podcast. BlushyBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. And I am your host, Brandon Day, and with me, my co-host, Ashley McLennan. How's it going tonight? Not too shabby. Yeah, I mean, we might as well get right into some Jacoby Jones talk because, uh, man, like the questions that came in uh, as when we uh, asked for listener questions today were probably 70% about Jacoby Jones. Everyone wants to know about Jacoby Jones. Everyone's excited about Jacoby Jones. Everyone wants to believe in Jacoby Jones. They want to know what he eats for breakfast. People are stoked. Is this real? Could this be real? Um, And, you know, there's some nice signs we'll get into. um, And then there's reasons to doubt. But you had, like, the perfect antidote, I thought, to um, people getting too excited about, you know, a month month or two of um, excellent production from someone with a very long track record of failure. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think one James McCann, who is absolutely mashing for the Chicago White Sox, is a pretty good antidote antidote to some of the overenthusiasm, perhaps, that is pervading the fan base at this point. Like hitting like three twenty six or something insane like that right now. I don't know. <laughs> I made that number up, but it might be close. The one thirty two, I'm right on. That was actually correct. Um, but like <laughs> insane numbers is like like over four hundred Babbitt kind of thing. Like just nutty nutty stuff and i don't know man i kind of think of it like that because in that whole discussion my takeaway was yeah okay his numbers are great but it's going to change like i just i find it very difficult to find in myself to believe that james mccann is just suddenly that much better um that it would change just like that in because of a new town and uh, yeah people can point to jd martinez and tell me it happens and that's fine yeah, it does happen, believe, but it's rare. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe that James McCann is that player. And in that same token, I have a hard time believing that Jacoby Jones has suddenly become that player. Um, if it is that he has suddenly found the magical thing to like fix all of the issues that he has had at the plate, and he's suddenly going to be just amazing and is going to be our everyday center fielder and is going to be the next J.D. Martinez in hitting, bless his heart, I welcome him. Uh, and I will never question it again. But do I believe that that's what's happening? No. Yeah, I mean, all of us are, you know, kind of just almost immune to, to optimism or or that kind of hope without, like, a, at this point, at least, without, uh, without a lot more data kind of to back it up. And, I mean, you know, one thing I'll say, and I, let me, I'm bringing up his Fangraphs page so I can run down it. Things have, he's improved a little bit, like, every year. Um, like, the strikeouts have come down a little bit, although he's still striking out, like, about 30% of the time this year. But the walks have gone up, the hard contact has gone up, um, he's swinging at less pitchers outside the zone. There are a lot of, there are a lot of small things that when a guy breaks out, you know, do kind of add up, but they're not so drastic that it's like, you know, oh yeah, he's got it figured out, you know, it's all coming together. He's swinging less. Yeah, he's swinging outside the zone less. He's making more contact. Um, he's making more hard contact. So, I mean, it's not fluky necessarily, like, you know, where the ball's just all falling for him. But, you know, it, you have to see a guy kind of sustain this for a pretty long time before you can kind of say this is his new level and this is who he is now. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Like, I mean, it took me half of last season and the beginning of this season to believe that Matthew Boyd was actually going to be a good pitcher <laughs> and, and actually be that and not just have a couple fluky starts. Um, and if I can see Jacoby continue this for the rest of this season, I'm willing to put some faith in that. 
Yeah, and it's and it's even harder sometimes with with hitters because it all just depends upon you know on matchups. Like if you watch Brandon Dixon against you know a soft tossing lefty, you might think Brandon Dixon is our you know second baseman of the future because he's got huge power. And when he runs into a couple, all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, this guy's incredible. But but has anything really changed you know to stick? Whereas with its you know when it's Matt Boyd, you can kind of look and be like, oh yeah, okay, the slider is like you know radically different, and he's changed his pick, pitch mix, and he's only throwing four seamers and sliders now and the sliders getting you know way more whiffs than it used to it's got way more lateral movement etc like there's at least like those kind of markers where you can kind of say that um with hitters you kind of have to take a long time even if you're getting into the stat cast data and looking at okay yeah his, his average exit velocity is way up and he's hitting more fly balls and his average launch angle is better um all those things are probably true in jacoby jones case but yeah you need to see it for more than you know three or four weeks five weeks um, if he can keep this up through the All-Star game, then I will probably start to be ecstatic and go crazy. And by then, the entire fan base will have already, you know, 100% bought in and be like, what? Yeah, of course he's great. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's just the way it goes. By that point, everyone <coughs> just like, he's our future star. <coughs> Get your jerseys now. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. However, he has made some changes. Um, and actual, actually, uh, Jules Posner, I believe his name is, um, who writes for Forbes, um, who we follow each other on Twitter. Um, he's a smart guy. I've seen him, you know, put up a few other pretty interesting Tiger articles. But his uh, his article was based on how Jacoby Jones basically was. I think it was Scott Bream, who's one of the Tigers' um, head scouts, was was telling him about Nick Ahmed, who's a Arizona Diamondbacks outfielder, who's been you know a, a swing and miss machine his whole whole career, but kind of an athletic guy like Jacoby. And made some changes to his swing and suggested, you know, that Jacoby kind of try to model some changes off of him. And apparently that's where he got some of that. But basically, I mean, he didn't do anything crazy. He lowered his hands. And I think what that's doing is letting him, you know, kind of um, kind of lean in and get his head a little bit closer to the line of pitches um, and, and see the ball a little bit better. And he already kind of had gone to that short, compact swing, um, you know, a good bit last year, but it still wasn't really paying that much in dividends. But, yeah, he seems to be seeing, seeing the ball really well right now. Um, Pretty much everything he hits is hard, and and the problem with Jacoby is just that the potential has always been so great because he does have pretty huge raw power. Like you know, he's he's at least a sixty on the scouting grade. Um, when he hits, when he gets a hold of one, he can hit it. You know, four twenty plus. And then you combine, you know, the speed, um, you know, good defensive ability. Even if his numbers are down this year, I don't really try to ride the wave of defensive stats. You know, from one year to the next because it can be kind of silly. But, um, but yeah, especially like getting his head a little bit closer to the target line. I kind of think back to when he got drilled in the face. Um, was that like the Miguel Sano game back in like, 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Against yeah. the twins. Um, you know, I mean, <clears throat> you just never know how, how long lasting the effects can be of something like that. Maybe, maybe he was over it within a month, um, after he got some swings in, but maybe it's always just kind of been in the back of his head to keep his head offline a little bit. And yeah, yeah. Could be. yeah, sometimes those things will stick in your head. And even when you don't think you're overreacting to them still, you know, you are. So yeah, it might be, yeah. might be some combination of those things. All I'll say I is didn't that. even think of that. That's very interesting. Yeah. You just, you know, might, might've, might've been in his head a little bit all this time to kind of, you know, stand up a little straight and be, be a little more ready to bail, um, to be in a good bail position rather than in a great hitting position. So but yeah, it's uh it's awful fun when Jacoby Jones is going good cuz yeah, he's like a, you know, like a happy shiny gazelle bounding around the bases with these long strides. Oh, and, and he's he is so fun. Mm-hmm. Like he's just smiley and cheerful and you just I mean, the old lady in me just wants to pinch his cheeks. Like 
he is beloved. Yeah, I mean, he really is. So cute. Yeah. He's, and I, I don't say that like, oh, he's cute. Like, he, I, I want to, like, give him milk and cookies. Like, he's adorable. Yeah, he and has that he enthusiasm. That, but, like, he's just so enjoyable to watch. Yep, yep. And it's fun because, I don't know, the other, you know, thing that's been going on this week is that, you know, Nick Castellanos, you know, kind of gave some comments after the game where they got blown out about how, you know, you know whatever, sometimes baseball's not fun, you know, baseball is hard, etc., etc. And I saw a whole bunch of people getting real salty um, with Nick. And, and it just it's just interesting how two players who, you know, obviously Nick Castellanos has been the better player by far over their careers. Jacoby Jones is a guy who, you know, is, is really just kind of hanging on by his fingertips. Like he really needs to figure something out um, to stick around. But but people love, you know, the scrappy kind of underdog who's, who's fun to watch and seems to kind of play to the crowd. Whereas, you know, Nick just kind of goes about his business. And, you know, I can tell people all, all I want to that, you know, Nick is, is the one who takes all the young players aside and, you know, talks to them when they're down and, works with them on things and helps them, you know, sort out their life problems and, you know, and think more deeply about what they want out of life. He's like the Mr. Philosophy behind the scenes. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, you know, all he has to do is drop one ball and everyone is just like, uh, and now that everyone believes that Nick Castellanos is gone, it really is like, you know, like that breakup thing where, or even, even if it's like you're leaving a job, maybe not even something as much of a breakup where everyone just kind of turns away from you. You know, they don't want to talk to you that much anymore. And, you know, you're not really part of things and you can just feel that all, that all kind of coalescing among the fan base that, yeah, this guy's gone anyway. He sucks. We never liked him anyway. Yeah, it's kind of like that turning point, right? Where it's like, well, he's already got a foot out the door, so what does he care? Yep, yep. You know, hiring Scott Boris. Probably wants to make a bunch of money. Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's he's with the enemy now. He'll never resign. Yep, yep. He's gone. So, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been kind of funny watching those two things play themselves out side by side, but... It's awful fun when Jacoby Jones is playing good. Um, people who are looking at his defensive metrics and wondering if he's, like, having a terrible year. Like, I think what happened is he just kind of boned a couple easy plays. Um, and the way defensive metrics are, are generally constructed, if you miss a play that is graded easier, especially by defensive run saved, um, you'll just take it in the teeth there. And it's really hard to make that up unless you're, you know, making diving catches at the fence and reaching over the fence and pulling home runs back. Um, he did a bunch of that last year, and sometimes you just don't get those opportunities. Um, he also played a lot of left field last year, too, which, you know, was probably even easier for him because it was a lot more just side-to-side out there running like a receiver, hauling things in. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys who does, like, Nick Nick is this way, too, where it seems like balls hit straight at him are difficult in general for most people, but both of them have a little bit of trouble gauging those things. Um, the ball's knife into the side and slicing on you. Um, yeah, it's just harder to read that way. And I don't know, maybe Jacoby just is, you know, just had a couple boneheaded mistakes and probably nothing to really be worried about. I think the underlying fundamental defensive skill out there is still perfectly sound. So no worries. No worries about Jacoby in the outfield. As long as the kid hits, he's going to be um, beloved. <laughs> and- yeah, I think if his if his hit stuff can come together and he can keep this up, then yeah, he's going to be a star. <clears throat> yep. And then, yeah, I mean, and if I'm looking at the stats, the thing I really like is that he's swinging at less pitches outside the zone. Um, you know, he's he for the first two years, you know, most of the the two years that he's been with us, he was you know kind of a guess hitter. Um, looking for fastballs, but, you know, often just badly, badly fooled because he was, you know, in swing mode and just trying to swing at anything. So, yeah, it's nice seeing the walk rate tick up a little bit and the O swing tick, tick down. Those two things are good signs. So, here's hoping. 
Um, we saw Spencer Turnbull again tonight. Um, the game's not quite over yet on Tuesday night when we're recording this, but Spencer Turnbull uh, just kind of is like the low-key, you know, rookie of the year candidate as far as pitchers go. There's certainly some other good ones out there, but um, he just kind of continues to go out there and go six innings, allow a run or two. Tonight, he didn't allow any runs. Um, and what do you think? I mean, we're kind of getting to the point where it's like, yeah, this kind of seems like who Spencer Turnbull is. He's not, maybe yeah. not like an ace, but <clears throat> pretty good. No, and that's just it, right? Like, I don't think he's going to be, you know, the Tigers' ace of the future by any means. Like, Casey Mize, I hope. <laughs> um, but, man, you're right. You can't just pass it off to a fluke. Like, you wanted to say to yourself, okay, well, maybe he's just, like, really trying to prove himself. And maybe this is just, you know, a couple good starts. But, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I think we've seen Spencer Turnbull, and I think he's really good. Yeah. Yep. He's, you know, he's kind of come back and faced some other teams. Um, you know, people have gotten a look at him now and then come back for seconds and still kind of gotten dealt with. So, you know, some of that doesn't matter, I guess, as much as it used to, because teams have such good advanced scouting and so much data that it's hard. It's not as much like it used to be where if you got off to a hot streak, then everyone would adjust to you. Everyone kind of already knows who you are now, um, even when you're in the minor leagues and, and what your tendencies are and stuff. So, yeah, it all seems to be holding together really well. And I think, you know, the, the stuff is great. But the thing that he used to have a problem with in the minor leagues is that if something went wrong or he kind of got into a jam, uh, and this is totally normal. This is basically how it is for every talented pitching prospect. He would kind of start to melt down. He'd be too careful of the strike zone. Um, and he just seems to have realized, you know, like I've, you know, to some degree at least got a, got a pro defense behind me. <clears throat> and then no. there's nothing to be gained by throwing balls. You know, you just, you kind of just have to trust your stuff and, and see what happens. And he's got plenty of stuff. Now, from your perspective, I know at the beginning of the season, he was pretty aggressive. We're talking like he'd been. Yeah. And I think he was leading the league in hit batters. Um, I know that's <laughs> been toned down a little bit. Um, but do you find that he's being a little less aggressive and a little bit more controlled? Yeah, it does kind of seem like, yeah, he's just, at least in the early innings, like he'll still, you know, have these moments where he gets wild for a little bit. Um, but yeah, he seems to have a better idea of like how to settle himself down. And usually when, when he gets wild, it's just that he's, he's in trouble. And like any pitcher, he gets a little tense and starts trying to do too much and overthrow. I'm looking right at you, Joe Jimenez. Um, and, and yeah, and seems to, yeah, have kind of, you know, I've just kind of settled in, you know, Spencer Turnbull, like from everything I've heard, um, from people about him personally, like it has always been like really, really a confident guy, like not necessarily like, um, a bad guy or anything like that, but someone who definitely was like, you know, I'm going to pitch in the major leagues, you know, you're not going to stop me, etc. Um, so yeah, maybe, you know, he just had to get to the point where he proved it to himself a little bit and yeah, he seems to have settled in there. I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop a little bit and like, for him to just kind of fall back to being like a fourth or fifth starter type guy, but nah, hasn't happened yet. If it could go and do that the Michael Fulmer way, where we get just one insanely solid rookie campaign season, yeah, and then he kind of like slowly diminishes a little bit over time, but is still a quality starter, I'm okay with that too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, and the basic thing that has made Spencer Turnbull special is that he just doesn't give up that many home runs. He gets a lot of balls on the ground. Doesn't give up that much hard contact. So even though he's not like a strikeout artist of, of note, um, and he does kind of walk too many guys, yeah, he's he's one of those rare guys who actually can keep the ball on the ground. Um, he sort of, I mean, at times he does look like Michael Fulmer with better breaking balls, um, which is kind of weird to say. Um, he doesn't have quite as good a fastball as Michael Fulmer at full Michael Fulmer power, but uh, but yeah. So I don't know. It's um, it's looked pretty good so far. Um, should we trade him at the deadline for um, a host of prospects? 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No! <laughs> you gotta keep somebody. If they're gonna trade Boyd, which already feels like it's inevitable, like, I'd like to keep Turnbull at least. Yeah, yeah. Good God. Yeah, and I don't know, it's interesting. Spencer Turnbull did have a lot of injury trouble in the minor leagues, but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily anything major. It was a lot of, like, the shoulder stuff, which, um, you know, just inflammation and that kind of thing, which can eventually turn into a problem and is frustrating, but, like, so many pitchers have have that stuff go on, like, every year. Um, and, you you know, sometimes it's just innate. There's just nothing you can do about it. Maybe there's some guys who can change some things with their conditioning and sort of put that stuff behind them, which maybe is what happened in his, his case. I've at least heard that from people. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you can't just go punting the kid aside and, like, oh, we'll take, like, a couple decent prospects. I mean, you kind of do have to see how things go, and, and you know, the Tigers definitely need young starting pitching. We've got Spencer Turnbull for six years. Um, he is already 26 and almost 27. Um, he was really old as a prospect, which is probably another reason why he's he's just less phased in general than uh, than some others are. He's, he's just been around um, a good while. He's, he's kind of been up and down and fought the battles and been trapped in the minor leagues for years, being injured and not making that much progress. So he's as ready as he was going to get, I guess, um, this year. So... Yeah, and as far as trading Matt Boyd, yeah, I mean, that just brings us to the other thing, which is that there's, it looks like there's kind of an awful lot of pretty good starting pitchers who, who are going to be available. Um, and, you know, we've got Madison Baumgartner. Um, God, there, there's a whole host of them. I was just looking at the list, and now I'm drawing a blank here. Let me take a look. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, has Cleveland got to trade Trevor Bauer? I mean, they, I guess they might have to. They are getting their butts they kicked. They have to, wouldn't you think? Because he's not going to sign an extension. <laughs> yeah. He's made that pretty clear. Um, he's only one-year deals from here on out. Yeah, yeah, we'll see if he uh, We'll see if he sticks to that. Um, but yeah. Better, or he better, if he doesn't, he's posting the punishment online. Yeah, he should, and plus everyone should, well, and everyone should be doing this with Trevor Bauer anyway, but he should just be trolled mercilessly and just dragged on Twitter endlessly for this. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess Cleveland is probably going to want to try to wait it out another month and see if they can patch something together, but I don't know. It's looking pretty bleak over there. Yeah. And then they've got Corey Kluber, who may, might come back and, you know, they might be in a situation where they don't really need to keep him, but I'm not sure. I don't know. He's probably not going to still be back for like a month. Being Bauer over over Kluber. Yeah, I guess that's that's got to be the case. Um, I'm just not sure how valuable Kluber is going to be to anyone because he's not really going to have enough time to prove he's okay and healthy and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, Marcus Stroman is another one that that people could go for. Um, he's not going to be around for Toronto. Um, you know, as they they try to rebuild or whatever they're doing over there um, around Vlad Guerrero and Bobachet and those young guys. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's possible Strowman could be on the move, but the more I look through this, the more I think, like, I don't know, Matt Boyd is pretty easily the best of the bunch. 
<clears throat> oh gosh, even if you consider the fact that he's even being casually mentioned in Cy Young conversations. Like I don't think that Matt Boyd is having a Cy Young season, um, but he's been sensational. Yeah, I might and, beg to differ. I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty close. I mean, and he might. Like I, I just hate to be like yeah. I hate to be all in on things this early in the year. Yeah. Um, like I feel like it jinxes things, but like to even have his name in that discussion has got to make him a hot candidate for a trade if the Tigers decide to move him. Yeah. Yep. I think that's, that's certainly true. Oh, okay. Yeah. Zach Granke's out there. Yeah. And the thing about Matt Boyd is that he's the, he's the move that everyone should be interested in most because not only is he possibly the best pitcher out of this entire group now, um, maybe, you know, I don't know how you feel about Trevor Bauer. Like the other problem with, you know, trading for Trevor Bauer is that you just, you know, like, is he going to fit, you know, with your guys? Like he's going to, you know, he's going to do his own Trevor Bauer thing. And I would assume that he's going to pitch better than he has in the first half. But there's just all those kind of things to, to take into account. Like Madison Bumgarner, like, is he, you know, how is he going to fit in in New York? You know, for example, um, Mr. Mr. Face Punch. So Bauer would fit in really well with a young pitching staff. Yeah. Because I feel like as a contentious and like abrasive as he can be, he's also so smart about pitching. Yeah. And like, there are very few guys out there that I think are both that smart and that open and motivated to teach what they've learned to others. Yeah. Like, I think that's probably true. He'd be like a backup pitching coach sort of as terrible as he is. I feel like if anybody wanted to learn the things that he's taught himself, he's not going to be like, no, my precious, they're my secret. <laughs> like we even saw him out there with Kikuchi when they were playing against the Marl- the Mariners. And he was just like, yeah, I did this and here's how the ball. And like, he was just right in there showing him things. Like, I don't think he wants to like, yeah, that's not even a teammate. Yeah. He, he wants people to learn and to show people that they can be better and I, I feel like that's where having him in with a really young pitching staff with like up and coming like prospect types. Oh God, am I talking myself into the, wanting the Tigers to get Trevor Bauer? No. <laughs> um, no. Now, how about we just get a different pitching coach? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, I, I think that that would be really beneficial. Like you say, the problem with him is that he may not be a great fit for most teams personality wise. Yeah. Um, but I think that's where he could really be beneficial. Yeah, I would have to agree. And the other thing about him is that he's a rental. Um, the thing that stands out most about Boyd is that not only is he, you know, maybe, you know, probably like top five pitcher in, in the American League right now is that, you know, you're going to get him for three more years and he's not terribly expensive. He's going to be, you know, in arbitration and stuff. So it's not like you're going to, you know, pay him nothing. But if a team, you know, wants wants a guy and doesn't want to just rent somebody and have it be a short-term move where they give up a good prospect and then, you know, it's all just for that one run. Matt Boyd's your guy. Like, that's the guy that, you know, can take over for you and can maybe do the Trevor Bauer thing even better than, you know, than Trevor Bauer can because of Boyd's personality. Yeah. Um, you know, just kind of like the leadership he's got in general and the fact that, you know, he's been out in dr- at driveline a bunch of times and, you know, really has remade himself in just ridiculous fashion. Like, you know, far beyond anything Trevor Bauer really ever had to do. I mean, Matt Boyd has changed everything like the arm angle has completely changed like the the pitch mix the, the stuff he throws the way he goes about it the way he trains himself um so yeah he might also try to sell you on some vitamins he, but he, he might yes there, there may be some like flicker glasses that you know attune your you know your synaptic <laughs> responses while you sleep you know what all that kind of stuff but some, it's like, fine seaweed dust or something like that yeah it's true like, that matt boyd wraps himself in kelp 
ton of Matt Boy yeah. for all of his like yeah. keto something supplementation blah yeah. blah blah. Yeah, I do kind of love working, it. Man. Yeah, I do kind of love it because you know I, I actually I found my way to Bless You Boys um, via mixed martial arts, and in the mixed martial arts world, like all that kind of like you know snake oilery and quackery is just constantly afoot. Like everybody's trying so hard to get an edge and not get their face punched in. Um, that guys will try anything, and you're finally starting to see some of that. Yeah, kind of, kind of leech its way into golf or into golf into uh, baseball, and uh, yeah, it's kind of funny to see. You know, if Matt Boyd needs to wrap himself in a bed of kelp and sleep in the tub at night, you know, and whatever, whatever it takes. Avocado infusions. I don't know. Ooh, I don't know what he's doing. The, that's the kind of baseball practice I can get into. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because we pretty much, I would have to say we have the best starting pitching, um, starting pitcher available for teams looking to trade for. And we're all like, I don't know how, how you feel. Like, I'm still like, I don't really want to trade him. Um, oh, but... I don't. I don't want them to. But I said this on another podcast I was on the, on the weekend. I said that the key is entirely dependent on when the Tigers feel like they can compete again. Because if they're going to wait four years to be competitive, there's no sense in keeping him. Mm-hmm. And they should move him and get a good return when he's at his peak value. But if they actually think they can compete again in two years and they're going to actually go in for that plan, then please, God, hang on to him. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's it's not hard to imagine, like, a pretty darn good pitching staff next year. If you keep Boyd, um, you still got Norris and Turnbull. Yeah, you've got Zimmerman. I don't really know, you know, <laughs> what you're going to do there. Uh, maybe he's just an innings eater for you. But you're also going to have Kyle Funkhauser who is throwing again and looking good in the farm system. And probably I would expect to make his debut in Detroit sometime in early July, if not this month, um, probably needs a few more starts, but he's easily the best and most, and, and the best combination of ready and, and old enough to, to get called up and, and kind of start producing some value. So you've got him, you've got Bo Burrows, um, Casey Mai should be in the major leagues next year. Um, there's no point wasting a major league, you know, high quality pitcher which Casey Mize is pretty close to already being in the minor leagues just because you want to mess with the service time like you can't do that with pitchers they might just blow up at any point anyway so as soon as a guy is really ready to pitch in the major leagues you need to call him up and start using him and Matt Manning isn't really any farther behind like slightly farther behind Mize but is certainly certainly ready to pitch in the majors to some capacity um and by next year yeah, you might have all these guys kind of ready to go you've got Greg Soto in the role that he belongs in which is some kind of like you know, middle relief or, or late innings relief role rather than like being forced to start for a team that doesn't really plan out the, those kind of like opener type moves um, the way the way the Rays did and are kind of just having bullpen days. Like there's there's a lot of pitching there. And if they went out and got themselves a couple bats this offseason, mm-hmm. like you could actually see them being fairly entertaining and interesting to watch next year um, while they, you know, hopefully wait for a couple more bats to emerge from the farm system. Um, Jake Rogers is going to be up this year, I assume. Maybe Dale. Oh, yeah, I would have to think so. Yeah, Willie Castro. Yeah, yeah I think I think you're right. I think there's enough talent built into the team, and I think the key is in the off season they have to pick up guys, but not overpay. I think they made that mistake this year with like guys like Mercer and Harrison, and I think if they can be a little smarter and play that off season game and like make those minor league offers to guys who may be just a little bit on the old side but still good. Mm-hmm they'll save money and get the bouts that they need. Yeah. And you look at the things that they're going to, the places that they're going to have available to, to put someone who can really hit, you know, it's going to be like right field, first base, 
Um, we don't have anybody to, to play those positions. You know, Miggy's DH in full time now. Um, Kristen Stewart is probably going to DH quite a bit when Miggy's out and hurt or, you know, just getting an off day. So he's not going to be in left field that much. So we do have corner outfield spots. We have first base. You could you could sign yourself a pretty good bat or two um, in the short term while, you're, while we're waiting for people to come up. And, you know, we don't necessarily have anybody great about to come up, like Isaac Prades, Daz Cameron, Jake Rogers. None of those guys are going to come up and hit the cover off the ball. But um, but if you have a couple more solid position players and you bring you start bringing all that pitching to bear, and, yeah, you get yourself, you know, some big donk to play first base and hit some home runs for you, you know, yeah, they, they, might, be, um, they might be halfway entertaining to watch next year. Not that they're not entertaining to some degree this year, but it's like every third game. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 on and off this year. I think they can be a little bit more consistently entertaining and have a bit of a better record as well. Yeah, but again, if the tiger I, and the other part of trading Matt Boyd is that I think we'd all feel better if it was like Dave Dombrowski trading Matt Boyd. Like if I felt like okay, we're gonna absolutely just just you know squeeze some team's farm system. Like we're gonna go into San Diego and get like Luis Urias and two other top ten prospects out of one of the best farm systems in the game for Matt Boyd. Okay. You know, in that in that circumstance, I can kind of understand why you've got to do it. But yeah, I'm just I'm just terrified to see this front office trade Matt Boyd for like a, a you know a nice solid package, and then watch him be like one of the five best starters in the game and cost controlled for three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that whole thing uh, that whole thing scares me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So we'll we'll be getting into more of that with our coverage as we get closer to trading season but we'll just have to see because trading season might start sooner this year um you know that people can't wait because around there's only one deadline this year so you got to move when you can move if you need pieces yep and it really doesn't you know i mean it makes sense for teams to take a good look at themselves right now um and over the next couple weeks and say like yeah if we're gonna if we're gonna make a move why don't we try to do this and get in before there's some kind of frenzy and people are competing with each other in late july for the top free agents so if anyone wants to, um, any team out there wants to call in and make a great offer to us for Shane Green right now, that would be uh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just want one uh, one really good infield prospect. Um, you know, doesn't have to be a star. I'm not asking for Wander Franco because we're not going to get him. Um, but no, yeah, sure. no, probably not Carter Keyboom either. But yeah, I mean, if the Cubs want to give us Nico Horner for him, that would be fine. Although, all right, they've got Craig Kimbrell now, so they're probably not as much in the market. But the, the uh, What's the word? The plan stands, or the <laughs> the theory the theory stands, regardless of who it is out there. So, all right, that's I don't know. That's kind of enough for the the two the the two hot tigers. Um, all right. So yeah, I mean, the tigers are going to have some guys to trade. Um, they should be able to pull some some talent that way. I think the draft, you know, the, the general reaction to the draft was that the Tigers did fine. Like, it wasn't anything special. Um, we didn't have any extra picks. But with the picks they had, they did all right. They went out and signed, like, every college bat they possibly could. Um, probably assuming that by buying bulk, you know, at least one of these guys has to work out. Um, there's a couple interesting couple interesting guys, you know, beyond the second and third round. So they might have some talent there. And, yeah, if they can find themselves a bat or two in trade, yeah, I think if, you know, if they can just find themselves a big first baseman and maybe um, maybe another bat they can fit in somewhere else, yeah, the team could actually be pretty fun next year. Um, and, you know, as far as the fans go, they probably need to keep the pressure on Chris Illich to make sure that something like that happens because you could also see them just sort of like, well, we're not going to win again next year. Um, we're just going to bring up all the kids and just see how it goes. And even that will be more fun. But, you know, the opportunity for them to be, you know, a reasonably solid team next year is there, um, and I would hope they would uh-huh. they would take it. Um, all right, let's try to get into the listener questions. 
before we get too far along. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Madison Bumgarner and some comments he had. Um, I don't know. We're going to talk briefly about David Ortiz, but I don't know that I really have much else to offer other than that we all hope he uh, he comes through okay. Um, sounds like he's doing well and and should be should be all right and back to good health before too long. But man, what a messed up story that was. Yeah, that was nuts. That's a sad and scary story. It's just so weird too in the you know the way things are now, where like you know it happened like an hour beforehand, and we're already getting like the footage of the actual shooting. Um, oh getting... no, that's nuts. Yeah. Well, we're talking about it now, so we might as well talk about. Yeah, it. I just figured like I screw it, I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, over the weekend, David Ortiz was shot in the back at a um, a restaurant in the Dominican Republic while he was at home. Um, and people said initially that it was like maybe a robbery or something like that. But I know now that I've been forced to watch the footage because it was on the news earlier. Yeah. Um, the guy just walked up to him and shot him in the back and was like, done. Like it was an assassination attempt. It wasn't a robbery. Yeah. Like the whole goal was for this guy to kill him. Yeah. And strangely enough, he shot someone else as well, but you know, he obviously wasn't a professional because he walked up and like shot him like right in the lower back. Like... This is, this is not yeah, uh, this is not John Wick. I'll just put it that way. No, and it, it, I guess it went through his abdomen, and ultimately he was taken to the hospital. He's he's fine, and he'll he'll likely make a full recovery. Is what everyone has said. Yeah, they flew him um, to Boston um, for a second surgery, I think, last night, and so he came through that okay. And yeah, all all seems to be going well. Yeah, so that's excellent news. So he's definitely out of danger right now. Um, still very very scary. Um, yeah, but just wild. And I guess the guy who shot him then ultimately got beat almost within an inch of his life by the guys who went out and found him and is now in jail, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And they're trying to figure out if there might have been someone else involved, last I heard. Yeah, there was, so. there was rumors about it being a hit because Ortiz had had an affair with like a drug lord's wife or something like that. Um, which everyone is saying is ridiculous, but that was definitely making the rounds. Right, everyone's um, everyone's fantasy, you know. Oh, what could what could be behind this? You know, gene yeah, just kicked right this in. Into a movie play, yeah, a movie script, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, David Ortiz has has had some somewhat unsavory, you know, friends and and associates over the years. So I'm, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe there is something more like that behind it. But, it, you know, my initial reaction is that it just looked like someone who, you know, was deranged and, you know, but I don't know. We're Americans. And so we're, we're unfortunately, we're pretty, uh, we're, we're, you know, conditioned and used to just these random, like, oh, I'm just going to go shoot up a bunch of people, assholes. And um, yeah, I don't know. So it, it certainly looked purposeful. That's for sure. I'll, I'll give it that. It wasn't like a random, like, oh, David Ortiz just happened to be there. He definitely was there to shoot David Ortiz, but the motives and and all the rest um, still remain unclear, but I'm sure that will that will all come out, and a whole bunch of rumors will come with it, and conspiracy theories, and all the usual nonsense. Um, but yeah, that was messed up. I guess that's yeah, all there is to say. Very very crazy. Um, all right, let's take a look at our listener questions now and get into these because, as Ashley and I can do, we're already over a half hour into the show. <laughs> I need to get to that because there's still a couple other things we want to talk about. Um, all right. Dehoek asked, injured arms, has there been any word on Carlos Guzman or Frank, Franklin Perez? Um, I don't think either suffered a major industry, injury, but I haven't heard anything about when they'll return. Uh, I can say that I know Franklin Perez was throwing like extended spring training, throwing to hitters um, yesterday um, down in Lakeland. And, but, it's, but it's just really hard to know like what 
any kind of t timetable is for Franklin Perez, because I don't know if the Tigers have changed anything um, in his delivery or tried to make any adjustments to his conditioning. Um, you know, the guy has, has, I think this is the fourth trip to the DL in the past, like, year, where he keeps coming back and almost immediately has too much inflammation in his shoulder, I guess, and, and can't go, and then they shut him down. It's just an endless, you know, cycle with him right now, and so I have no idea um, when he's going to return or if he will stick when he does return. Um, and I don't know if the Tigers are trying to adjust his delivery and, you know, change his mechanics to try to try to take some of the, the pressure um, or some of the just the friction out of his shoulder as he's throwing the ball because, I don't know, the whole thing's pretty disturbing and we're starting to put together our, our midseason top prospect list for the Tigers and it's really hard to decide what to do with Franklin Perez because when a guy hasn't pitched basically in two years, like, it's pretty hard to, to call him a top pitching prospect anymore. If a, if a pitching prospect at all. So, I don't know. Not real sure what's going on there. Um, Carlos Guzman, I think it was his shoulder as well. Um, I haven't heard anything about a timetable for him, though, either. Um, I assume they're letting the inflammation get out, and then we will uh, we will see what's what. But, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of all there is on those two right now. Um, we, at least we've seen Kyle Funkhauser come back, and Bo Burrows, I know, is throwing again. So I would expect him to go out on an assignment um, pretty pretty soon. Um, I don't know if they'll come up to Toledo. It's been weird, like, watching the Tigers try to juggle the farm system because not only do they already have, like, all these old veteran guys, like, packed into Toledo, um, and a whole lot of guys who have just been in the system a really long time. Like, better farm systems push those guys out pretty fast unless they're really good um, and they're convinced that they're going to be good. And the Tigers have just kind of continued to sort of sit on everybody and, and hang on to all these guys. And it feels like at some point in the next month, there's going to be a, 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 just a huge purge. Like all these guys, Carlos Torres, Tim Adelman, like all the, the veteran minor league free agents that they picked up, like those guys are all going to have to go away because there's a lot of guys who need to be promoted. And then you've got, you know, at least, you know, 12 to 15 new draft selections who all need to be fed in there. And because they're almost all hitters, um, it's not like there's, there's a, ton of people like obvious to bump aside the Tigers have a bunch of starting pitchers in a ball and a bunch of relievers that you could easily cut and no one would ever miss them uh, and the probably the same is true with position players but because the Tigers need position players they're probably going to give those you know those guys more time like the college guys that they drafted over the past two years who haven't made enough progress so I don't know it's going to be wild um, it's going to be wild and Willie seeing how the Tigers work out like all the infielders that they've got now and who goes where and etc so yeah there's gonna be a lot of changes coming I'm trying to look up Carlos Guzman real quick to see if there was anything today that I missed. Let's see. Well, you're doing that. I will look for more questions. Oh, there's not a bunch of... All of this is prospect stuff, man. People are so bored with this season. Yeah, everyone's on to the farm. Okay, yeah, I mean, I don't really see anything particularly new on Carlos Guzman. Um, I checked with Emily Walden, um, who, congrats to her, is now working for Baseball America now, as well as The Athletic. But, um, but yeah, I don't, see, uh, I don't see anything new on Guzman, so probably they're still letting him rest and, and try to work things out. So, so it goes. Um, let's see, there was one other question, but it's about the Lions. Um, you don't want my Lions takes, trust me. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I spend so much time, you know, knowing everything possible about the Tigers and baseball that I really don't pay that much attention to the Lions. Um, why haven't the Lions extended Snacks and Darius Slay yet? Uh, you know, because it's the Lions and they're, they're fools. I don't know. They should they should just pay these guys. I don't know how things work in football. So whatever. Maybe they should. Maybe they shouldn't. Um, Darius Slay is awesome, though. I can say that much. And I like Snacks. So hopefully those guys will be around a little while. But the thing about football <laughs> is that football, like, that you don't keep anybody. Like, it all just turns over too fast. And that's another reason why I'm just like, eh. Everybody gets hurt too fast. It's over. 
can't even like can fall in love and have these dudes around for a while. Can I have a moment to ask if Snacks and Slay are seriously <laughs> names? <laughs> no, Snacks is uh, yeah, Snacks is a nickname. Darius Slay though is an actual an actual person and one of the best cornerbacks possibly in the NFL. So amazing. The Lions do have that going for. There, there was I don't know if it was a Lions player or somebody definitely had a name that just reminded me of foodstuffs, <laughs> and I just laughed every single time I heard it. But Snacks and Slay would make such a great buddy cop movie. Oh yeah. Oh, that is great. Slay, we're going to clean up the field. Yeah, because Snacks is like the big defensive lineman who's huge, and Slay is like the, the, oh the good-looking, fast, like young, slick-looking guy. So yeah, between the two of them, it, it would make pretty good uh, pretty good buddy cop oh action. God, I'm already mentally writing this. <laughs> this um, is amazing. Yeah, it could be great. Um, yeah, Jacob Markle, um, our own our own prospect writer, is asking us to to help him how to, to figure out how the Tigers should handle the low minors infield jam. That's your job, fool. I don't know. They got oh, a, they, they got a ton up, of guys. I, I looked up this Slay character. Sorry, now I'm now we're a football blog. Uh oh. Oh, this this guy is handsome. <laughs> yeah, he is a good looking guy for sure. Yeah, coming for you, Pride of Detroit. <laughs> Pod podcast. <laughs> okay. They, they've got Kelly Rowe. They don't need me. They do have Kelly Rowe. Yeah. Yeah. She's a star. It's true. Yeah. Kelly's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like she's, a, um, she's, there, there she's, a, she's really a Donna. She's such a Donna. That's that's how I would describe Kelly Rowe. Oh, uh, she's great. You know what a Donna uh, is? Like from that 70s show? Basically, like a big strapping girl who can hang with the boys and beat them up yeah. and push them around and obviously grew up with brothers. Like, that's that's Adana. Okay. Or are you re- referencing the band The Donnas? Um, it could be the band The Donnas as well. There were some Donnas in there. Um, but no. Yeah, it's basically Donna from that 70s show. Laura Prepon. show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, there is a solid question here on Twitter as well, which is, when do the Tigers hit rock bottom and start <laughs> rebuilding? It's just selling off players for prospects. I, I question this actually because if you sell off players for prospects, uh, you will hit rock bottom, and <laughs> you will also be rebuilding. So I don't know if I understand the question. Yeah, I mean, because if they trade off their main players, like their Matt Boyds and their Shane Greens, then chances are good they'll probably finish the season close to last which they're already on track to do, yep. which will give them top pick in the draft next year. Plus, they'll have the prospects they get back from those trades. Yep. So I don't understand the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the, there, now, is, there is... Now is when they do those things. Yeah. They will trade, they will, will gain prospects, and hopefully next year we'll start to see kind of the upward swing of a rebuild is my hope. Yeah, this is why this is just why the the whole rebuild term terminology like the whole thing just aggravates the crap out of me like rebuilding is a verb it's not a noun but we're talking about rebuild like it's a thing that's some specific process that people go through I don't know I mean that is the te- I guess the way I would phrase it is that is the tear down over probably not quite yet like you're gonna see green go and we'll have to see what they do with Boyd um, but yeah like the building portion should be starting. Um, <laughs> You know, next year, like we should start to see, you know, the top prospects coming up late this this season and into next year. We should see a lot of those guys and we'll just have to see. I don't know if that means the Tigers are going to spend money. Um, Probably not, at least not anything substantial. But, um, you know, with Nick gone and then just one year next year of Jordan Zimmerman, they're starting to get to the point where Miggy's the only bad contract and where, you know, none of us want to hear anymore about, you know, like, oh, Miggy's holding the, the payroll back. Like, get the fuck out of here with all that. Um, yeah, Chris Illich speaking directly to you on that one. 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. You know, I, it feels like this is the year where the teardown portion ends, but I'm not sure that next year is the year where they start getting better. Um, next year might be the year where they have a crap ton of young players on the field, um, booting the ball around and looking stupid a little bit and trying to get it together while, you know, while you all and us all, um, scream and yell about how these guys aren't as good as we were promised in the, when they were in the minors and like, what's going on here? And what, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, so some of that might all go down. The Tigers, um, they're, it's, it's real complicated, the rules on who gets a compensation pick and who gets revenue sharing. It's possible that by the end of this year, the Tigers will get a comp pick next year. Um, and maybe that's part of their goal and part of why, you know, I, I could see them just trimming the payroll like crazy, like just cutting, you know, whoever, like cut Josh Harrison, cut Jordy Mercer, rather than letting those guys play out the rest of the year. Um, you know, th they can't contribute anymore really at this point anyway. Um, and just try to like purge as much of the payroll as they can for, for anything. Uh, and that's why I'm, I'm absolutely positive Nick Cassianos will get traded and probably um, not for very much just because if they can get that payroll, the year long payroll down um, lower, it should help them. And if the Tigers could get a, a compensation pick in round B, um, you know, after the second round next year, like at least that would be one. Um, we all watched the Arizona Diamondbacks and their eight picks in the first three rounds uh -huh. this year. Um, it would have been nice if that was us. Um, that's, you know, that's rebuilding right there. That sounds like rebuilding, getting getting yourself eight or nine new guys all in one fell swoop. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if they're, I'm not sure if they're through the tearing down phase to the actual rebuilding phase yet. I think we're probably going to have to suffer through it next year, but at least we'll have a whole bunch of, you know, talented young guys to watch um, start to figure it out. And so I think it will at least be more palatable um, on that front. Uh, and you're right. Yeah. Kingston Liniac. What are your thoughts on Kingston Liniac and Jose Azucar? What do you think their futures will be? Um, I can, I mean, I can safely say that neither will play in the major leagues and, and probably have a 65 to 70% chance of being right. Um, and you can do that with almost any prospects. So that's easy. Um, I don't know. Kingston Liniac, I like, um, you know, we drafted him out of high school. So he's a guy who's got a long road ahead of him. Um, but that also means that, you know, it's, it's way early to start, you know, concerning yourself too much either. Uh, we'll see how it goes this year. Um, there's, he's, he's an athletic guy. He's got some speed and, and like the power potential to hit a lot, but he's, I mean, he's just got a lot of work to do. He's a really raw prospect. So I'm not even really interested in forecasting what Kingston Liniac um, will do other than that. His, he's a tremendous name and I really like to have these discussions so that you can continue to say it. Kingston Liniac. Yes, it is a good name. And yeah, I mean, he's young um, and you know, he's got talent. So it's just a question of, you know, can the Tigers develop him? If you have five prep prospects who are as good as Kingston Liniac, like you probably should get a pretty good player out of that group eventually. Um, it just may take some time. Jose Azucar, you know, he's kind of like a poor man's Derek Hill. Um, like he's not quite the defender that Derek Hill is, although he's pretty good. Um, doesn't have as much power potential as Derek Hill does, even though Derek Hill doesn't have enough power potential to, to kind of float his bat. Um, both of them have kind of struggled, but Jose Azucar has hit quite a bit. So you never know. Jose Azucar, I would imagine, will probably at some point get a look as like a fourth or fifth outfielder type guy. But um, but I don't. I it would just take a lot for him to ever start. Um, anybody out there, like if you're, we're at a point where if you don't hit 15 home runs in a in a minor league season, so that we can expect you to hit 20 or or more in the major leagues, you almost don't have a place in the game. Um, you know, except maybe as like a bench player or a role player. We're we're just far past that that time in the game where, you know, your center fielder didn't have to hit any home runs or your shortstop didn't really have to hit many home runs. Like even those guys, like if 
any good team look through look through what their second base and shortstop and center field production is, and you're probably going to be um, you're probably going to be fairly impressed because you just you've got to hit jacks nowadays. That's just the way it is. You almost have no place in the game if you can't hit for power. So yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really have uh, terribly high hopes for either one of them. But Kingston Liniac, for the final time, I'll say is is still very young, and um, with youth comes you know opportunity and upside and potential. And he's not at the point yet where all that starts to degrade into the cold, gray reality of adulthood. So good job. <laughs> all right. The next question is about, oh, see, everybody's, this is, this is what's going to be fun next year is, is arguing a lot about what Casey Mize and Matt Manning should be doing, how much, you know, how much work they should be getting in, etc. Um, someone wants to know that, you know, Casey Mize and Matt Manning both threw 115 innings last year. When will the Tigers um, think about shutting them down this season? I, I, what I would like to see the Tigers do is kind of give them both a break around the All-Star game and then promote them both to Toledo so they can start dealing with the, the happy fun ball um, that has now migrated from Major League Baseball to the AAA <laughs> level. Um, that's, you know, it's kind of turned AAA into, into a different kind of ball of wax where teams I don't think want to expose their best pitching prospects there until they're they're really ready because the ball's just flying out left and right. But it's also kind of a good proving ground now to, you know, like you've got to keep the ball out of the middle of the plate um, because guys will hit those things out left and right. Um, so I don't know. I'm not real sure. Yeah. I mean, you probably look at him to throw like 130 to 140 innings this year um, and, and they're kind of eating them up. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I would imagine the Tigers will either give them a, a lengthy break and then restart them or they will both unfortunately have to be shut down in, in August. And I don't really feel like that's going to happen. I feel like the Tigers want at least to bring Casey Mize up for a little bit um, late this year because he, he is ready enough. Um, and the innings the two of them are pitching have been easy innings. Um, and for the most part, they've been limiting their, their pitch counts to like 90. Um, ever since Casey Mize threw the no-hitter, they've been kind of squashing him. Um, there, been, there have been times where he probably could have gone eight and nine innings and only been at like 100 110 pitches, um, and they're not letting him get anywhere close to that. So they're taking good care of him on that on that front. And so maybe the the actual innings count won't matter the, as much, and they will um, they will give them a little bit more rain. But yeah, Manning's already got 70 innings, so he's already like basically halfway to his total, and we're still early in June. So that's what happens when you pitch that good is uh, you pile up innings. <laughs> so yeah, they will start to add up over time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times like the rule is like you, you really young guys, like in a ball and rookie ball, like you kind of want to get them to like a hundred innings and then it's 120, um, 130 or, and then the next leap is 150. And once you can throw 150 innings, um, you know, depending on how good you are in those 150 innings, you're pretty much ready for the majors. So I think they could probably push them both to 150 if the innings, kind of stay this easy and they take care and monitor them both well. Um, you know, give them a little break somewhere in the middle of the season, take a look at their shoulder, put them in the tube and analyze their ligaments and, uh, and various, <laughs> various parts, check their amygdala while they're in there, see how the fear factor's going, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, run a full body scan. Just run them out there and let them be a shortstop for a while so they don't get to the majors like Zach Greinke and have, you know, regrets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, get those regrets out of the way. Let them both get some hitting in um, in case, yeah, you know. absolutely. Let them kind of play the field a little bit <laughs> if they're in a. Yeah, do not do that, Tigers. If either one of them got hit got hit by a pitch in a minor league game, people would lose their minds. You know, I saw, I saw a weird thing in Matt Manning's last start, too, where he was kind of in a jam. There was, like, a guy on second and... 
Um, the hitter who was up was nobody, not a special prospect or anything like that. Um, there were two outs, and they intentionally walked that guy to set up a force play so they could pitch to the catcher. And it was just the damnedest thing because it was like, and, and I don't know, you know, the other teams do, other minor league systems, you, do, you will see this, but it's like, what? You know, are you training these guys, you know, for the big situations? Or are you guys down there, like, trying to win ball games and trying to win the Eastern League Championship, which no one gives a goddamn about? Um, I don't know. I just thought that was really weird. It's like, you've got your, you've got Matt Manning as your, you know, one of the probably 10 best pitching prospects in the game. And he's facing this guy. You want him in jams and learning how to pitch through trouble. And you're going to intentionally walk a guy so he can face the catcher. Like, what are you guys doing? I don't understand. I don't understand that. Anyway, there's a, there's a little side rant because I was just baffled watching that go down. Like, you know, like trying to win these games too hard down there. Like, it, nothing, it doesn't matter. It's all just practice. Want me to get excited about practice? It's not going to happen. Um, both Jacoby Jones and Brandon Dixon are currently hitting well above the level one expects. Do you believe this is the result of something either of them has changed? Um, basically, what what is going to happen? Um well, we talked about Jacoby Jones and, you know, and about yeah, Scott Bream, one of our scouts, you know, apparently kind of talked to him about Nick Ahmed's swing changes and Jacoby took that on board. Um, I don't know if that had anything to do with Lloyd McClendon or not. Who knows? Um, as far as Brandon Dixon, I haven't really heard anything. I like this is this is kind of who Brandon Dixon is, is that he's got huge power, but only against certain pitchers, um, certain types of pitches, and he will be incredibly streaky and strike out a ton. And also isn't really so good defensively that you can kind of hang in there with him. Um, I don't know. I'm perfectly happy having Brandon Dixon around, though, because at least he's got big-time power. I'll take anybody who can hit the ball out of the park and play, you know, acceptable infield and give them a shot. um, Because we just don't have that many, unfortunately, infielders pushing these guys out of the way. Um, So, yeah, Brandon Dixon's exactly the kind of guy that you give a a shot to. Hope that... um, He's also one of those guys who hits a lot of fly balls, and he, he's kind of a launch angle guy already. And I've been looking at players like this who the Tigers might actually like cure by by not having the right philosophy. Like the Tigers have always kind of espoused that sort of up the middle line drive, you know, make lots of contact, battle with two strikes um, philosophy. And there are some guys who might actually benefit from that because they've overdone it as far as trying to mash everything out of the park. So I don't know, maybe something will work there. I'm perfectly fine having Brandon Dixon around this year at least. See how it goes. <clears throat> as far yeah, as do we do like you believe in him? The kind of guy who, in five years, I won't remember was on the team. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah. 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 And I think we would both say that Brandon Dixon is is the one of the two that we haven't really seen that much change with. I mean, this is kind of who Brandon Dixon was um, through the minor leagues. Um, I talked to some people who you know were real excited about him um, when he was a prospect, and you know, and that was basically the line on him is that he just never got any better at selecting pitches. Um, always struck out too much, always, you know, always kind of swung for the fences too. And that's basically the guy we're seeing. So we'll see. I mean, uh, Brandon Dixon probably has even more proving than Jacoby Jones does because Jacoby Jones doesn't have to be this good. Like if he can just hit decently, everything else makes him, you know, plenty valuable. Um, If he wants to go off and, you know, be this good and suddenly look like some kind of Mike Troutian (laughs) figure, mashing everything and also running fast and doing, doing outfield things, um, it's just there's just a lot more room um, for Jones. When we talk about there's a phrase floating the profile in scouting. Um, you know, okay. Jacob, Jacoby Jones has all the tools that can kind of float the one tool that aren't that isn't good enough. The hit tool. Uh, Brandon Dixon doesn't doesn't have all that um, to to kind of back it up with. He's got to absolutely mash. So the odds of him being good are, are less. Jacoby Jones can fall off a good bit from where he's been hitting over the past five weeks and still be pretty damn useful. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's, I think, the benefit of him. I don't think that he's going to get like, shipped off to the moon anytime soon. He does still have places he can slot in and be good for the team, even if he is not as good as he's been right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that does it for listener questions. Um, the, the, the last little topic I really wanted to get into... I don't know. We could talk about Nick Quintana's hair some more because Nick Quintana signed. Um, he, he and Riley Green are both signed. Um, I think he's official. We get the hair at some point. Gosh, I we were talking about this too the other day, where I'm like, oh, you know what? This is so good because he just has the look of somebody that you're gonna like on the team. <laughs> like, yeah, I just I like. I think he's just gonna be one of those players that you kind of glom onto. Yep. Yeah, I mean he's he's like a super hard driving, like you know, kind of kind of intense player who plays to the crowd a little bit. He's got the hair, he's got power, um, plays good defense, like pretty like high energy, like you know, like fun type of player to watch play. Um, everybody who was a fan of him in college, who's you know come onto the site or sent us messages and stuff about Nick Quintana, um, has has been pretty enthused about him. It seems like he was he was kind of a real you know fan favorite and hero. Um, for Arizona. So yeah, we're looking for that to be, to be true here as well. You know, and what's interesting, we started talking today about our, um, our updated prospect list a little bit and started floating those things around. And it kind of feels like everyone wants to really kind of ram like the Tigers top five guys, um, in the draft in there. Um, so it'll be really interesting. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of amazing conversations I'm sure going on behind the scenes as we try to work out um, what everyone thinks about these things, and then everyone just puts in their own ranking anyway. We've got a fan, we got a fan ranking system, so everybody can get in on the game and um, and make your own list to some degree, or at least <laughs> contribute to our what is that our our master list of? It's a, a ranker like yeah. ultimate Tigers prospect list, which I got really offended by how low Jake Rogers was, so I went and I tried to vote him up, and that only I, you could only get one vote per player, so <laughs> I couldn't just like give him twenty five. It was. You know, yeah, I tried, guys. Yeah, we did. Well, and the thing, and it was weird. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll find a different way of doing it. It was kind of wonky where it set people up to begin with, and so it was like Jake Rogers was ranked twenty fifth, and so I'm like, oh well, I'm gonna I click like five times, and I'm like, oh, he just moved up the one spot, and everybody else has to click it to, to make it all work out. So I don't know. It's not ideal, but um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'm surprised we didn't get a question about Victor Reyes actually, because Victor Reyes has been on an absolute tear in the minor leagues. Um, hit, I think, five home runs over the past six games, if I'm not mistaken, six or seven games, um, has the most home runs in the entire organization right now, and, you know, I'm sure we're going to end up seeing Victor Reyes back here um, pretty soon, you know, maybe maybe when Nick is traded, maybe even before that, um, I don't know that there's anything going on, people I've talked to don't really see any, any notable swing changes, he made some swing changes to kind of get more compact last year, but was still... You know, a guy who put the bat on the ball a lot, but doesn't select pitches, doesn't walk, and hits too many balls on the ground. And if he's hitting them out of the park, he's not hitting them on the ground. And if that keeps up, that's that'd be great. But he doesn't really show the signs, according to people I've talked to, of, of someone who's, like, figured it out, like, a, a whole new approach at the plate. So everybody just, just chill there. At least the kid's got some potential. Um, and with the the, the the position players in the farm system the way they are, we will take any potential that we can get. Maybe he'll figure something out. But man, the Tigers just do not take guys who walk and hit for power. Like, just they, they don't, they leave out the plate discipline part seemingly every time for guys that can get the bat on the ball, like anywhere in the zone. Um, Ronnie Rodriguez is a perfect example. So is Jose Iglesias. Like, they just, there's no approach. There's no, I'm looking for this. There's no trying to set up the hitter. It's all just like see ball, hit ball. So, 
not too many guys make that work. Nick Castellanos is one of the few I can think of who's really kind of become a good hitter um, without seemingly thinking through all that terribly, terribly much. But yeah, it makes me wonder if there's just not as much of a focus on plate discipline or, or what the deal, like if they say, if you can hit hard, a team will sign you. And then you can kind of figure out the rest from there. Whereas I feel like if you really wanted to like groom a quality superstar, you would be like, learn to wait for your walks, man. Yep. Yep. I mean, it seems like it doesn't, you know, it seems like you have to start it at an early age too. Like you have to look for it in, in the scouting um, and do a much better job of finding that, that kind of trait there because uh, yeah, I just, we just haven't seen very many people get taught to, <laughs> to draw walks and to, you know, have better plate discipline through the tiger system. Um, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they've changed that. But when I, when you hear the, like the tiger's brass kind of talking about what they're emphasizing in the farm system, you still don't really see, you know, that, that kind of approach being talked about. You still hear about like, Oh, we want guys to battle with two strikes. You know, if we want guys to be aggressive first pitch, it still seems like the same approach they've had all along to me. So, we shall see. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm going to look up this Madison Bumgarner story because I did want to talk about this because <laughs> Ashley and I are, are obviously advocates of players having fun and, um, you know, being free to, to flip the bat and celebrate a little bit when they hit a home run or whatever. Um, do, do a bit of a glove spike if you're real mad about something. I'm okay with that. Yep. Yep. Or excited. Phil Coke style, man. Just rah, throw it into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way I put, I, I mean, it's just everybody can can kind of feel how about this how they want to, but I don't really want play, all players to like have to play a certain way or like play to the crowd that much. Um, you know, sometimes it gets talked about in like a Latin American players versus American players way, and I don't really find that to be totally true either. Like the game, like if you go to a, a park in the Dominican or somewhere, is is definitely more like fun and loose and raucous and stuff. And, you know, people celebrate and people are having fun and people are loud and not so like sitting on their hands stoic um, the way that they are at a lot of major league parks. Um, but it, it kind of goes both ways. There's plenty of American players with, you know, with bat flips and, you know, showing out and pumping their fists and getting excited. So it just, isn't it just that everybody should just play however it works best for them and should stop, you know, should stop, worrying about how everyone else is playing isn't it just like everything else in life that we should you know take care of your own first yeah oh gosh right yeah like figure yourself out and then start judging others yep yep and so our hero this week well not our hero because he's, he really is kind of a <laughs> jackass is uh madison bumgardner who didn't throw at max muncie um yet uh we will have to see if, if that happens the next time they face each other but uh, max muncie hit an absolutely titanic home run off madison bumgardner into mccovey cove and was admiring it as one does. And Madison Bumgarner, of course, being a hothead, came out there and was yelling at him and telling him to stop looking at the ball and start running. And Max Muncy apparently told him, like, hey, go get that ball out of the ocean. I'll stop watching it. And, you know, it was like a little bit of back and forth out there. But, you know, people got on Madison Bumgarner afterward. And what he, what he said, I just loved so much, which is just like, hey, let, you know, it's fine to let the kids play, but, you know, let me be a hothead. That's just who I am. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so like the you best... let it go both ways, right? Yeah, I just thought that was a, such a great response. Like, yeah, you know, let the stoic players be stoic, let the hotheads be hotheads, and let the kids play. Um, all those things should be fine. We've kind of, we've talked about this with the Ian Kinsler thing, where Ian Kinsler was kind of talking about how, you know, he hoped that, you know, he was taught a certain way of baseball and that, you know, that way wouldn't go away entirely, that it was okay to play the, the game the way he plays too. Um, a lot of people got on Ian Kinsler and, 
you know, there, there was like, there is a little bit of like an ethnic component there where it sounded like, I'm sure to some people that he was bashing the Latin American style. Um, I didn't really think that myself, but I've still kind of talked to some people who I respect who are a little bit like, well, you know, he needed to be more careful. You know, yeah. that's probably true. But then again, we're talking about baseball players and the idea that any of them are particularly careful with their words is unfortunately just not really the way it goes. Um, mostly they just clam up. So I don't know, maybe he didn't express himself perfectly well. But, um, but yeah, in general, are you you're pretty good with Madison Bumgarner being able to flip out and yell and scream at people a little bit? I mean, I figure if you're allowed to be happy about the way something's gone, you might as well be allowed to be angry. I feel like as long as it doesn't result in, like, beanball wars and, yeah. you know, people just getting violent about it, I feel like we should move away from an overtly stoic version of baseball and kind of embrace this system where it is okay to show emotions, whatever those emotions might be. If it's joy, if it's excitement, if it's frustration and anger, I feel like we should let these players be human and let them express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like everyone would, you know, should play the way that they play best. And some guys do probably play better being stoic and not letting themselves get mm-hmm. get too high um, and too low. Um, some guys are much, you know, much more attuned to like needing to keep an even keel. Um, some guys like Ian Kinsler and probably Madison Bumgarner are the type who need, you know, who play their best when there's a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and they purposely will look for that kind of thing to be annoyed with you and, and help themselves even to play harder. And other guys, you know, are just young and running around. And sometimes they, you know, whoever it's like Albies and Acuna Jr. with the, the Braves, like those two guys are hilarious to watch together. They just always seem to be goofing off and in the dugout and having fun. But when they're on the field, yeah. they're they're both awesome. <laughs> so, well, especially Acuna Jr. But Albies is a really good player, too. And yeah, it's just sort of like it's all in the game. I'm just going to quote Omar a little from The Wire and to say, look, it's all in the game, fellas. <laughs> you can be however you want. You're right, but it's like it's like guys like G-Man Choi. I wrote an article a while ago where it's like he does that thing where he's very stoic when he's out on the field or, you know, he'll have a little bit of fun on the base pass, but he waits until he's back in the dugout or he's just with his team. And then it's just like over the top and excitement and, you know, just joy to watch. So it is interesting to watch those guys who – you know, can balance it and find the stoicism and the the bliss, as it were. Yeah, exactly. As long as no one's getting getting hit with pitches, it's all it's all fine, I think. And um, you know, in the end, this is all just kind of a silly, you know, silly and complex and beautiful game, you know, played by with with way too much intensity for what it's worth because of the money involved. You know, played by in theory grown adults. And it's just, you know, it's just a big soap opera in, in general, all centered around this kind of ridiculous and beautiful game. And mm-hmm. it's all it's all part of it. So even if I'm like, I don't like Madison Baumgartner, but I still but I like that I have Madison Baumgartner not to like. Um, yeah. I, I well, it's would, always good to have villains, man. Yeah. That makes any story better. Yeah, yeah. It's great to just have like, the you know, the whole the whole slew of different personalities out there. And, and if people are getting into it and. You know, I love a bench clearing brawl as long as no one gets hurt. I'm, I admit it. Like, I love, I love it when like people get salty with each other and start acting yeah, stupid. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's gro- you know, grown men like losing their minds over this game and you know, acting like complete idiots. Like, you know, there's, there's something great about it. Um, it's just when it turns to teams like getting into the beanball war and throwing at each other and throwing at each other's heads and doing dumb crap like that. Um, that's, that's when it all goes horribly awry. And I think that we can have all the rest without that. Still, I think oh, I agree. I think we can get there, but we're not there yet. We still got Ned Yost out there, like, oh, we gotta throw at people because they showed off in front of us, and blah blah. blah. Unwritten rules, blah blah blah. Yeah, 
yeah. So yeah, there's a certain part of that that has to uh, have to still be purged out of the game. But um, but God bless your red asses because you make it you make it fun, you make it fun in your own way. It's all right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Got anything else? I think that's about it. Uh, no, I think that's it for the week. I mean, I think we managed to do that while also remaining upbeat and not trashing anybody in the front office. So I feel like we've done well here. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think we have fulfilled our obligation, as Carson Sestouli would have said. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't get to, I kind of had a family thing this weekend, so I, I didn't end up doing a um, podcast on Sunday night like I was kind of thinking about, um, but I will try to do a second podcast later on this week and maybe um, maybe get into some some draft results and talking about what's been going on on the farm, because there probably are going to be a whole bunch of changes coming up, and um, maybe I'll go in, in deeper on some of that stuff. Um, I'm going to write about Joe Jimenez, too, and like what the hell's going on with him um, right now. Um, I don't know. I'm in, I'm in pitcher analysis mode right now, so... He and Alex Fayedo are getting the treatment, and I'm taking my sweet time because I'm not. I always hate it when I see someone has changed something, and I'm like, I just want to give it another week and see if you've really changed it, or if you're just kind of playing around with with some changes. It's hard to it's hard to know. Hard to know if something's stuck. Yeah, exactly. So some of that stuff will be coming. Um, do you want to uh, promote some YouTube videos? Because I know you got more coming. Yeah, for sure. This week I released one on today that we're filming that we're recording today um on babip um and it's a really rough explainer on the concept (laughs) (laughs) which i hope will help people a little bit with understanding what goes into it um and then on thursday i will have an episode where i teach people how to read box scores um, to kind of give you a breakdown of what everything means and how to like go through it and to figure out what it tells you about a game and then on the weekend, I will have an episode on just what we were talking about, uh, Donnie Brooks and Rhubarbs. <laughs> oh, what about Brouhaha's? No, Brouhaha is not mentioned, but I do distinctively break down the difference between what a Donnie Brook and a Rhubarb is because they are different. So. Wow, fascinating. All right, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, so the more you know, you'll have to pay, pay attention, and on Saturday, that episode will go up. Yeah. All right, I think that'll about do it for this week. Um, you guys all have, like, the University of Michigan um, in the College World Series to watch. Um, there's going to be all kinds of changes coming up in the Tigers farm system. People are going to be getting promoted. There's going to be all kinds of news coming out from that. You guys can, can look forward to that stuff. And we're um, getting real close to trading season. So after kind of a month of, like, kind of that, oh, you know, we're past the 40-game mark, but we're not really toward the all-star break and all the uh, all the attendant trade talk. We're kind of getting into the heart of the matter there. So you can look for all that stuff coming up real soon on blessyouboys.com um, follow Ashley at 90 feet from home on Twitter please follow her YouTube channel pass those around educate yourself you. yes please share them yeah and follow me at fiscadoro 74 on Twitter and we will talk to you all next week Ashley have a good night you too bye bye bye